If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, if you will, turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Today, uh, there again, if you're visiting with us, this is your first Sunday uh, here, or maybe you're uh, just in the area passing through, thank you again so much for being with us. And uh, you've caught us at a time when we're beginning a new uh, message series this morning on Paul's uh, letter to the churches of Galatia. And uh, in this letter, what we know right away is that Paul is writing this letter. And he's pretty, he's pretty uh, I don't want to say hot under the collar, but he's pretty intense when he comes out of the gate in this letter uh, because he's writing specifically to address some things. He's writing to address the significance of grace within the church, but he's also writing to correct some false teaching and and uh, some legalistic tendencies, if you please, that were creeping into the church. And so at this point, what we know is that some false teachers and some critics had arisen in the church of Galatia. Paul has since moved on and, and uh, they were attacking, if you please, Paul's call to ministry. But they were not only attacking his call, they were actually attacking his authority and the gospel that he preached. And so really the gospel had come under fire. And uh, so you may be asking yourself, well, then why, why are we, this is talking about uh, churches in Galatian. Here's what I know. It, it's pretty important for you and I today in 2019 to be firmly grounded. To be firmly grounded on the basic truths of the Christian faith. In fact, many of our young people will head off to tech schools, trade schools, colleges, where their faith will be tested and tried by uh, learned academic professors and, and uh, distinctive uh, uh, people with uh, great distinction, and they will come across questions uh, about the gospel. They will come, uh, really, quite frankly, they'll be faced with questions regarding the uh, legitimacy of God's Word, whether it is God's Word, how much of it is God's Word, you know, and, and so these are things that are important. And so it's important for us as a local New Testament church to be firmly grounded in the basic truths of the Christian faith. And quite honestly, I can think of nothing more basic than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the gospel, you and I this morning would be men and women really, really miserable. Really miserable. And, uh, and so what I want us to know and, and understand is that from this study... I hope that we'll be reminded that uh, from the book of Galatians, there's truly freedom. We are free from guilt, we're free from fear, we're free from doubt, we're free from sin. And, and quite honestly, we're free from that old ideology. And if, if we're not careful, it's hit every one of us where we try and try and try and try and try and we never seem to do enough. See, we've conditioned our mind that I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. And if I don't do it, then God's not going to be pleased with me. And if I don't do it a certain way, then i got to do it over. And if I don't do it over a certain way, then guess what? I probably won't make it into heaven. i got some good news for you. Your trip and my trip to an eternity with God is not based on what you or I can do. It's what Jesus did. And so we look at the book of Galatians. There's a lot of people that are trying to earn their way to heaven, and that's not what Scripture teaches. And so, through our study, we're going to be reminded, as the slide says, that true freedom, or real freedom, actually comes through, only through Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 36, he said, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. 
This past week, we celebrated Independence Day in our country. I got news for you. I was free in Jesus Christ, whether I live in the United States of America or not. Jesus Christ is the one who set me free. And so let's look at Galatians chapter 1. Let's see what God's word has to say as we get into this study. I, I pray that this is going to be a blessing to you. But notice right off the bat, beginning in verse number 1, Paul, an apostle. It's like, okay, he starts off with his own name. He says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And to all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's his introduction. That's his, that's his greeting, if you please. And then continuing on, verse number 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto, notice here, another gospel. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For, I do, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Notice what he says here. I love the end of this verse. He says, for if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood." Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but they had heard only, listen to what he says, they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And notice what he says, and they glorified God in me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you will use your word to speak to our hearts today. God, that we might be able to receive something today. That we could be reminded of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. And to be able to celebrate that. 
But God, not only that we'd be able to celebrate that, but God, that we might be challenged today to go out and to, to bring you honor and glory through the lives that we live and lead on a daily basis. And certainly, God, that's not a call from legalism. That's, a, that's really Christianity. God, that we might be different because of Christ. Father, I pray that if there's someone in this room or somebody listening online that has never heard, never understood, never accepted, believed, never repented, never trusted Christ as the Savior of their life, that God, that today might be the day that just as you did for Paul and many others, that you might reveal your Son to them on this very day and that they might trust Christ. Father, I pray that you'll have your will in your way and at the end of it all, that you'll receive the honor and the glory because of it. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen and amen. Here's something I know, and I don't know if you're like me, but if you ever go to the mailbox and you receive a letter, there's a few things that we do right away. First of all, we want to know who the letter's from. We want to know who the letter is to. And we want to know it, who it, what it's all about, right? A lot of times, most of the mail I receive these days is what we would refer to as, yeah, Donna, junk mail, right? And before you even get into the house, you may have already turned, uh, ripped up the flyer that says, come to Battlefield Baptist Church. You ripped up the, the other things that you have assessed. Oh, that's junk mail, uh, right? Uh, I don't need a new whatever they're trying to sell. And so we separate the junk from what's really important in our lives. And what we see right here in verses 1 and 2, Paul essentially answers question 1 and 2 right off the bat. Who is the letter from? Who is it written to? What's the purpose? Notice in the first two verses, we read that the letter is from Paul, and he says, Paul, an apostle. And what we need to understand is that the Greek word apostolos actually means, this is what he's saying, I am a delegate. He says, I am the Lord's delegate. Specifically, he's saying, Paul an ambassador of the gospel. You remember, he's reminding these churches of Galatia who he was actually instrumental in planting these churches during his first missionary journey. He's like, remember me? This is who's writing. I am the apostle who came to you, not of men, he says, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. And so this word apostolus actually means a delegate, specifically an ambassador of Christ, of the gospel. Officially, it goes on. A commissioner of Christ, someone who is sent. And so Paul is reminding him of his call and his commission. He's saying, listen, I don't care who's come in and crept into the church and told you that I'm illegitimate. I don't care who's told you that my gospel is, is not true. I don't care what they have said. But here's what the truth is. I'm not an apostle of men. I'm not, it was neither given to me by men, neither was I taught by men. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is the one who has called me and sent me. And so it tells us that he's writing to the churches of Galatia. And so for you and I, contextually today, we think about modern day Turkey. Galatia is kind of in the central area of what we would consider Turkey today. And during this time, it was a predominantly Gentile area. And so what does that tell us right away? That there wouldn't have been a lot of Jews in the church. It would have been made up primarily of Gentile believers. But there were some Jews that were around. And you'll see the, the specifics coming clear. As we think about the fact that Paul established these churches, he shared the gospel, he teaches the basics of the Christian faith, he appoints leaders. And if you know anything about his missionary journeys, it was the same each time. He would go in 
plant a church, teach the basics, raise up leaders, and move to the next town. And that's what we really have missionaries out there to do today. It may look different today, but the, the, uh, the hope is that they're going and they're establishing believers and planting local New Testament churches. And uh, just like you have the churches of Galatia, the church of Ephesus, the church of Rome, and, and on and on, the church at Battlefield, right? And so all around the world propagating the gospel. But here's what happened. After Paul leaves the area, certain people started creeping in. And they were referred to as Judaizers. These were Jewish Christians who came along and in these Gentile circles they would say, hold on, it's not enough for you just to trust Jesus Christ. It's not enough that you repent of your sins and uh, exercise faith in Jesus Christ. You have to do all these other things. In fact, Judaizers were a group of Jewish Christians who taught that it was necessary to adopt Jewish customs, Jewish practices, especially the laws of Moses in order, here's the catch, to be saved. They're saying, you're not saved simply by uh, exercising faith and placing your trust in Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I am. Absolutely, that's how we're saved, through faith. And so uh, the problem is that they were saying, you guys need to have a what I call a Jesus plus religion. Right? You need to have Jesus, but you also need to do this, this, and this to be saved. Paul, who was changed, who was called, and who was commissioned by Jesus Christ, was sent out into the regions beyond to preach a Jesus-only salvation. Who here is thankful for a Jesus-only salvation? If you're saved, I hope you're thankful for a Jesus-only salvation. You see, because if we're trying to add anything... Uh, to Christ, then we're actually doing a disservice and damaging the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 5. Look at what scripture says. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, he says these words. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, just as if we never sinned, he says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through who? Jesus Christ, right? By whom also, notice what he says in verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into whose grace? His grace, right? We have access by faith into his grace wherein we stand. He's saying, church at Rome, if we're standing, we're standing in the grace of Jesus Christ. Battlefield, if you're standing today, you're standing in the grace of Jesus Christ. If your faith is based on anything Please, I pray that it's based on Jesus Christ. I pray that it's not based on something that you or I think that we have to do. Paul thought, taught this. He taught that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. In fact, he told the church at Ephesus. You remember what he said to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 8, right? 8 and 9? He actually says, for by, what's the word? For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It was the very gospel of Jesus Christ and the doctrine of grace that were under attack. And here's what I was telling Travis even this morning. Not a lot of time has passed. It's evident from Paul's letter and his tone in the letter. 
because he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed. So not a lot of times passed, and yet the subtlety of false teaching had worked its way into many of these churches. And here's what was happening, was those who were Gentile believers in Jesus Christ were turning around, tucking tail, and walking, saying, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I, I mean, what, what's going on? And so Paul writes to correct this situation. In fact, do me a favor. Turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 15. Hold your place at Galatians 1, but turn back with me to Acts chapter 15. Because Paul is writing to deal with these dangerous, dangerous false claims and false teachers. And quite honestly... If you and I do a study, I'm not quite sure that anybody, and there's a couple of verses in chapter 1 that would elude me to believe one way or another, but I'm not sure I could really prove whether Paul wrote this letter to the church at Galatian, Galatia, uh, Galatia before or after what takes place in Acts chapter 15. But notice what happens. Here's the controversy in Acts chapter 15. Notice verse 1. You see, because they were dealing with this idea of legalism and false teaching all the way back then. And notice it says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so this was an issue. Guys, I got some good news. The issue was settled on the cross of Christ. Right? It doesn't matter. You and I, I, I had professors at Bible college who used to refer to us as snack shop theologians. He was like, all you snack shop theologians who think you know better than God, I see you sitting around in the snack shop debating this, debating that, debating your salvation, debating uh, grace and all these things. What you need to understand is it was settled on the cross a long time ago. And so notice here's what happens. Paul says, hey, certain men... Luke is writing about this time in Acts chapter 15. He says there were certain men that actually entered. These were men from Judea, these Judaizers. They entered the church and they said, hey, unless you be circumcised, you cannot even be saved. And so this was a big debate. And so Paul, he makes a trip. He makes a trip for this council. Drop down to verse number 7. I want you to see what takes place. In verse number 7, it says, And when there had been much disputing... Here goes Peter, the Apostle Peter. Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put, look at verse 9, and put no difference between us and them. I've got this underlined in my Bible purifying their hearts, how? Does it say purifying their hearts by circumcision? No, it says purifying their hearts by faith. Notice verse 10. Peter says, now therefore, why tempt ye God? He, he says, hey, we're having this big rust. We're having this big dispute among us. He says, why are you even tempting God? Notice what he says, to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. This is why Jesus said, come unto me, all ye. Right? You're bearing, a, you're bearing a burden that you cannot bear, so cast it on me. Right? I'll do it. And so we see the out process here in Acts chapter 15, but look at, look at verse number 11, because he goes on. 
Peter says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, notice the last two words, even, even as they. You see, the council concluded all the way back in Acts 15. By the way, I don't need a council to conclude that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I, I, I don't need the snackshop theologians to tell me that Jesus died for the sins of the world. Now, you and I can get together and we can debate, did he die for all the sins of the world or the whole world? Did, you know, uh, he was the propitiation uh, for our sins. Was that efficacious for just a few? Was that the elect? And we can, we can debate that all day long. But the reality is, if you're a believer, if you're saved through faith in Jesus Christ, not a council did it for you. You didn't do it for you. I didn't do it for you. Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ did it for us. When he said it is finished, that's exactly what he meant. But nevertheless, I digress. The council actually concluded that they and you and I are saved by grace. What is grace? Undeserved favor. Unmerited favor. Something that you and I don't deserve. Remember, I think it's important that we remind ourselves all the time the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is you and I receiving something we don't deserve, and mercy is when God withholds what we do deserve. Sometimes I exercised mercy while raising our children. And sometimes I didn't. I'm so thankful that God so loved the world that he gave you and I something we don't deserve through Jesus Christ. He said, you got to go. You got to go. In the fullness of time, God sent his son born of a virgin. Galatians chapter 4, we'll hear about that as we go through. He said, you got to go and offer your life as a ransom for many. Oh, this was and it is good news. But look back at our text. Because I want you to see in verse number 3 and 4, Paul, he's so concerned about his fellow believers that he puts a statement in, in typically what would have been a nice, fluffy statement saying, Hello guys, it's Paul, I'm writing you a letter, and I just got off a vacation, and here's everything. He puts the gospel right in his introductory statement. Notice in verse 3, it says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 he talks about Jesus, continuing on, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver. Now, I don't know what version of Scripture you have, but some of you may have a version that says the word rescue. That's exactly what he did. He delivered us. He rescued us from this present evil world. But notice it says, according to the will of God and our Father. Folks, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about the death, burial, and resurrection of him and him only. It is nothing more than that. And so you may be thinking, well, there ends the message. What's the big deal? Well, the danger for us today is not the debate over circumcision. Because none of you have come into this place of worship and ever heard me say you must be circumcised to be saved. That's not typically the debate when it comes to false teachers and Judaizers of today. But there are other forms of false teaching. There are other forms of legalism that run rampant in many of our churches today. Not just in the United States, I'm talking worldwide. So if we're not careful, teachings and tendencies that are not biblical can 
creep in. They can creep into the church and what happens is they actually undercut the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel. And so we have to be sober, we have to be vigilant because our adversary as a roaring lion, the Bible says, walks about seeking whom he may devour. I was reading many, many notes this week and I was taken back by the comments of Pastor David Platt, pastor and teacher David Platt, and he said this. He said that he believes that every single Christ follower, in a sense, is a recovering legalist. I was taken back by that. He says, I believe that every Christ follower is a recovering legalist. He went on, he said, because most likely every one of us, whether we like to admit it or not, have secretly thought at some point that there is something we can do to please God or in order to be accepted or approved by God. Who among us hasn't done that? Gotten on the treadmill like a little hamster. I just, that's a terrible sound, by the way. That's a terrible look for you, Eve, too. Ever seen a, seen a hamster on a little wheel? I mean, how cruel are we to put hamsters on wheel and just take pleasure out of watching them? Look at them go. Look at them go. And yet, if we're not careful, that's exactly what this world will do to Christ followers. See, the false teaching will tell us, you need to pray more. You're, you're not a believer. You'd never pray. I, I counseled a couple in Missouri when I was serving out in Missouri and a couple came in and you don't know them so and I'm not going to divulge their identity to you but they came in and the wife said I don't think my husband is saved and I said okay well let's get to the heart of the matter right away and she said I don't think he's saved because he doesn't pray I said so is your concern that you don't see him praying I said how do you know he doesn't pray are you with him 24-7? She said, well, no, but he never prays in front of me. And I said, well, that's a different issue. You know, he's the leader of the home. He should be setting an example so we could talk about that. But I said, how do you know he doesn't pray? And he's like, yeah, yeah, how, don't you, how do you not know? And so he got all excited. He thought I was on his side. I find that people, when I counsel them, they always want to know if I'm on their side or the other side. I'm on God's side, all right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Sometimes it rubs the fur the wrong way, right? But the reality is, she was concerned about his salvation because he wasn't doing what she thought he should do in front of her. I said, oh, be careful. I said, be careful that you don't trample the grace and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I said, should he pray? Does it, by the way, does the New Testament, a lot of people don't want to listen to the Old Testament. They're like, don't, don't bring up uh, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 like our Bible study was talking about. Don't bring that up. We don't listen to the Old Testament, right? They, they want to talk New Testament only. But the New Testament, there's all kind of information about the fact that you and I are to pray. There's all kind of information that we're to study our Bible. There's all kind of information in the New Testament only. If we're just talking New Testament here as New Testament believers, there's all kind of information that we're to worship God and to serve the Lord thy God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind and strength and all these things, right? And so we know that we're to have this love for God and, and whatnot. And yet, if we get it out of whack, if we pray, if we serve, if we worship, if we study our Bible in order to appease God, I think we've 
just proven David Platt's statement. We got a little bit of legalism running in. See, we don't do these things in order to obtain uh, approval or appeasement from God. We do these things because we love God. Let me say it again. We do these things because we love God. We don't do them because Pastor Greg says you has to. I'm not the one who said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some, some is, but even so much more as you see the day approaching. That would be God in his word in Hebrews chapter 10. See, truly legalism is deadly to our spiritual health and deadly to the spiritual journey that you and I walk in. In fact, one form of legalism is all about you and I working in the flesh according to the flesh in order to obtain God's favor in the flesh. But here I'm going to throw you for a loop. But I believe there's another form of legalism that runs amok in our culture today too. And sadly, it's just as dangerous and can trample on the grace of God. It's this idea that we as Christians are released from any obligation whatsoever to observe or to obey or to follow the principles or commands that we find in Scripture because quite honestly, Pastor, I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. Don't talk to me about giving to the Lord. Don't talk to me about serving the Lord. Don't talk to me about my prayer life. Don't talk to me about doing this because i got good news for you. Jesus died on the cross like you're telling me something I don't agree with. I agree with that. But there's plenty of information in God's word that says there are certain things that are not legalistic, but they're part of our Christianity, becoming a Christ follower. It's dogma, on this other hand, is opposite of what many call legalism, but really when I look at it, its concepts are very similar to legalism. I thank God for the amazing grace of God, but we must be very careful, as Jude 1.4 says, we must be very careful not to turn or to pervert the grace of God into lasciviousness. The idea there or is that we turn the grace of God into a license for immorality. See, when we use grace as, as a, as, as a catch-all, well, I'm under grace, brother. I'm under grace, brother. I'm under grace, brother. What happens is that gives way to lawlessness. That's like me telling my child, to do something, they say, <laughs> you don't know Jesus died on the cross. I'm under grace. Well, guess what? You're under my roof. You're still under, right? And I don't say, listen, in my house, I'm the good cop. Let's just put it that way. Right? The boys know. The boys know if, if they want the sweet answer, they're coming to dad. If they want the reality check, they're going to mom. Mom's going to say no. Right? Here's the way it is. You see, both forms of legalism are dangerous, and they're unbiblical. You see, when we do and do and do in search of God's approval and appeasement, it's legalism. And when we overemphasize God's grace to the exclusion of other vital teachings from God's Word, yes, in the Old and New Testament, I believe, it becomes another form of legalism whereby grace becomes all about me, myself, and I. Right? Oh, I'm under grace. I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. You know, it's like the old saying, uh, eat and drink tonight and be merry, for tomorrow you die. I've only got this one life. I'm going to live it to the fullest, and I'm going to do it the way I... So it becomes more about me instead of Christ. But remember, look back at verse 3 and 4. Paul says this. He says, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4, because here's the key. Notice the word gave. 
He says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver or rescue, if you please, us from present evil world according to the will of God and of our Father. The point here is that, yes, the gospel is free because God initiates it and the Son, Jesus Christ, completes it. And so that's a beautiful thing for us, but the gospel saves us is based on grace that is given, right? Notice it says there in verse 4, who gave himself. It was a gift that was given to you and me. It didn't say he gave himself so that you could do, 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 and then get salvation. He gave himself for us. I believe that's why in verse number 6 and 7, look what Paul writes. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed. That word removed in the Greek actually means to transfer, to transport, or to exchange. He says, I, I, I'm astonished. I'm astonished is what he's saying, that you are deceived so quickly. I'm astonished that the gospel that I preached to you, all the basic instruction that I gave to you, the leaders that I appointed over you, how about that, leaders, and everything that I left you with, that it's, it's almost been trampled on so quickly. He says, I marvel at it. Notice, he says, he says that you've been removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, but look verse 7 which is not another, but there be some that trouble you. By the way, there's always going to be people to trouble us. I remember when I served with the United States Army Band and I was serving as a producer, the Army Chorus used to sing a song. Soon I will be done with the troubles of the world, troubles of the world, troubles of the world. Soon I will be done with the troubles of the world, going home to see my God. I don't know if they're allowed to sing that anymore, but when I served, they were allowed to sing that. Guys, we will always face trouble. There will be people who will come in and they will try to sell you oceanfront property in Arizona all day long. I got some news for you. It still ain't there. Which is why, in the New Testament, watch what, watch what Paul says to young Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy 2.15 and 16. We like to read 2.15. It's the Awana theme verse. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But I, what I want you to see is verse 16. But shun profane and vain babblings. He's talking about false teachers. False, these, these people who come in and start to tell you something that is not the same gospel that you were saved through. He says, shun them. What does it mean to shun? By the way, we got to be careful that we don't do that to brothers and sisters. The world's watching. You want to know how they know if we're Christ followers? If we love them. We got to be careful to quit looking down our nose at the sins of the world while disregarding the sins of the church. Uh-oh. That's another message for another day. See, Paul is consistent in what he's saying to the church at Galatia. Look at verse 13. He actually recalls his own story. He's like, hey, let me remind you of proof positive of this grace of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 13. For ye have heard of my conversation. That word conversation is talking about his conduct. He says, you've heard of my conduct in times past of the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. 
We know that Paul was an enemy of Christ. He was an enemy of Christians. He went around persecuting, locking them up. He consented to the death of Stephen. And so we know his position beforehand. But if you keep reading in verse number 14, notice what he says. And it profited in the Jews' religion above my many equals in mine own nation. Why? Being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But look what he says in verse 15. He says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. And so before Acts chapter 9, Paul is wreaking havoc in the church. But Acts 9, he's headed to Damascus to persecute more Christians. And the gospel of Jesus Christ saved a wretch like Paul. September the 16th in 1980, the gospel of Jesus Christ in a church much like this. I was sitting in the second row and the gospel, Jesus Christ, the gospel of his grace saved a wretch like me. Oh man, I'm so thankful for the grace of God. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 1. I love what he's writing in his greeting to that church. He says in verse number 3, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Notice this in verse 6, To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Remember, Paul is writing to a group of believers. He's writing to saints in Ephesus. He's not writing to unbelievers. Context is king here. The Judaizers were turning and twisting the gospel into something completely different, a different Jesus, a different grace, a different way to be saved, and on and on, you name it. Everything was different. They said, yes, Jesus, but add all of these things together. But we know from Acts chapter 4, while speaking of Jesus, Peter declares that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, writing to the church at Corinth, Paul says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In verse 11 and 12 of our text, he says, But I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men, for neither I received it of men, neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. Folks, here's the point. If you and I abandon the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're saying that we're abandoning God. If, if I remove myself and I start listening to another gospel, lowercase g, and I allow that gospel to become the priority of the focus of my life rather than Jesus Christ, then I basically turned my back on God. Because he's the initiator of our salvation and Jesus Christ is the completer. Jesus gave himself for our sins on our behalf and in place of our sins. I like what Paul said, and you'll see this in the coming weeks, in Galatians chapter 2, an iconic verse that a lot of people probably know, where Paul says, uh, I am crucified with Christ. But here's what I want you to see in this verse. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But what does he say? But Christ liveth in me. If Christ lives in you, 
there's going to be a change. You say, where do you get that? Right here in this verse, because watch what he says. He says, but Christ liveth in me. He's saying I'm changed. And here's the proof. He says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I've been changed. And the change that took place in my life is evidenced in the fact that the life that I actually live, not when I go to the temple, but when I'm living Monday through whatever, right? And I'm out and about. The life that I live is now a life that is governed by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. Later on in Galatians chapter 3, we'll see that he says this. In verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made the curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hanged on a tree. It's been said that when you and I contaminate the gospel, even just a smidgen, we poison the whole picture. Oh, folks, false teaching is still alive and well, and it's deceptive. But you and I will never be accepted until we trust Jesus Christ. I'm accepted because of Christ, no other reason. Isaiah says that my righteousness is a filthy rag. That's what my righteousness looks like. Romans 5, again, we looked this earlier and I close, I'm closing down here. It says this, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Notice what he says, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. When we trust Christ and we cling to Christ, you and I can know that not only are we right with God, as this passage tells us, but you and I can also know that we are at peace with God. I think the reason legalism creeps into many of our, time, many of our hearts and minds at times is that we feel like we don't have peace with God. Like we have done something or said something or not done something, right? Uh, overt or a covert sin, right? It's either out in the open or it's, it's hush-hush. We've done something that has, has angered God. And so instead of repenting of it, instead of asking God for forgiveness, we've gotten to the hyper-grace point of view that says, I don't even need to do that. Well, I need to do that with my wife. I better ask my wife to forgive me or guess what? It's not going to be good. Because you know the old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And if dad ain't happy, nobody cares. Guys, for you and I, God's grace is free. The gospel is free. Salvation is free. God's mercy is free. But honestly, folks, it ought to be life-changing. And if we're walking around here and we're driving down the road and we have not been changed, then something is wrong. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul says in verse number 11, and we're not going to go there, but he says in verse number 11 that he withstood Peter to his face. Now, why would one apostle, why would one apostle uh, withstand another apostle other than they were fighting over some theological difference? Well, the reason is, in verse number 14, notice why Paul opposed him in the face of chapter 2. He says this, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel... This is what upset Paul. He says, when I saw that they weren't living like they had Jesus inside, I had to confront them. Uh-oh. 
And notice what he says. I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? His point then and there is that you and I, that you and I as Christ followers, there's a certain way that we should be living and that's not legalistic, that's Christianity. The free gift of God's grace should change the way that we think, it should change the way that we speak, and it should change the way that we act. And that includes this. I, I'm, I'm so tired of seeing people put filthy trash on social media. How about we act like we're Christ followers? Say, am I getting upset? No. I would never do such. Guys, the world is watching. And then we go and we turn around and we say, hey, uh, Pastor Greg is going to do a new series on Galatians. We're talking about freedom in Christ. Do you want to come? Absolutely not. I don't want anything that you got because I've seen what you've put out on social media. I don't want to know the Jesus that you know because my Bible says Jesus is a lot different than the one I'm seeing living inside of you. That's what Paul was saying to Peter. He got in his face and he says, hey, bro. <laughs> That's the GC version. Hey, bro, the way that you're living is not right. If you're a Christ follower, start acting like it. I know that rubs the fur really the wrong way. But in verse number four, the Bible says that Jesus gave himself for our sins so that he could rescue us from present evil. As believers, if you're a believer here today, here's my admonition to you and I close. We're not to live like the world and we're certainly not to love like the world. Because the world will love you and leave you. But Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. How about we go out these doors and start living and loving like Jesus? Jesus Christ freed us to live differently. And if you're here today, or you're listening, and you have never accepted the amazing grace, that amazing gift of God, I want you to see something, and I promise I'll wrap it up. And believers, you ought to see it too. Look at verse 15, because I passed over it on purpose earlier when I read verse 15. Because verse 15 of our text, Paul says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, look at verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Paul is saying that there was no need on that Damascus road when the light of Christ shone down on him. There was no need for him to say, well, flesh, what do you think? Should you trust Jesus Christ or should you just keep on living the way you are? Should you just keep on persecuting Christians? No, he was so overwhelmed by the word of God that he said, I didn't even confer with flesh and blood. I didn't ask anybody else their opinion. I didn't even ask my own self the opinion. I just said, yes, Jesus, to your will and to your way. I'm going to answer and I will obey. That's what Paul said. And so if you've never trusted Christ, you don't need me to tell you this, but you are freed through the grace of Jesus Christ. There's nothing you'll ever be able to do. Quit trying to work your way to heaven. Quit trying to earn points with God and be accepted in God through Jesus Christ, his son. 
in Titus chapter 2, verse number 11, the Bible tells us that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to who? All men. John 3, 16. The verse that we love to trample on. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But I want you to keep reading because verse number 17 goes on and says, For God sent not his Son into the world to, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, condemnation was never the goal. The goal was salvation. Condemnation was not the goal when, when Jesus came into this world. It was salvation. In Romans chapter 10, verse number 12, a verse that we hardly ever look at, verse 12 says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. You know the Judaizers had come in and told him there was differences, that they had to follow these rules. The Bible says there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord, there's not a Jewish God, there's not a Gentile God, there's one God. Right? There's only one Jesus, not a Jewish Jesus and a Gentile Jesus. It says the same Lord is over all, the same Lord who is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then the last part of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 reminds us in verse number 2 that now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Because the devil will trick you into believing that you have a bunch of tomorrows. But as a 10-year-old boy, I realized that my mom didn't have a bunch of tomorrows. No one is guaranteed a bunch of tomorrows. We're guaranteed this moment right now. If you're a believer, my admonition to you was make sure that you're living and loving like Jesus did. If you're not a believer, my my. If I could say it this way, my, my begging you, my begging you would be that you would trust Christ today. The grace has already been provided. The grace has been given. It's, been, it's, it's appeared. The grace of God that, that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. The reality is it's there. The only thing is that we need to understand it, accept it, believe it, and then exercise a little by, of faith and trust in it. Certainly, without repentance, there's no remission of sin. I think that's, that's logical. We understand that without Jesus, without God, we all are not worthy to go and spend time in a beautiful place called heaven. And so I think it just stands to reason that one leads to the next. And so I beg you, if you've never done that, do it today. You say, well, I'm just waiting for God to do it. He, he's already done it. All you need to do is receive that gift who died, who gave himself. He's already given the gift. I beg you to receive the gift today and make a change in your life. Allow him to make the change in your life, if you please. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.